Sorry. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Crystal Myth. But that doesn't sound any better. Mark, I help me here. Trying to go with like there was an eldritch horror taking over your body. Like, hello, um, Leslie. <laughs> it's like slightly different voice each time. To be fair, I think an eldritch horror has taken over my body because I poisoned my head, and that's why this episode is is late because stupid me dyed my hair brown and I didn't do the skin test long enough, and now I my head um, expanded twice its size. And I am a hot, I am an eldritch horror. You are. You're an Yeah, we're going to be talking about their creation or their creator, H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, his name sounds quite lovely, doesn't it? Lovecraft. It does. But he's not a lovely man. He's not. He's an absolute bastard. As was, was he a bastard or was he just an edge lord? Um, as he would be probably would be today if he was alive today he would be like well yeah but he would be like the type to put dank memes on twitter or something do you not think i feel like he'd be the type to put (laughs) like weird comments about why women won't shag him on reddit yeah i mean that's an but he did marry, but he was quite late. I think he was gay. Now, I know that traditionally, I think everyone and all creatures we talk about are gay. <laughs> but as I was reading through his stuff, I was like, I think you're just really fucked off because you're gay. And obviously you can't admit you're gay because you're a Nazi. And it's just, I don't know what I was going to say. It's just one of those gay Nazi things. You know, gay Nazi things. I'm not going to expand on that. That's the end of my explanation well... why I think he's a gay Nazi. Yeah, I mean, for listeners who are like, who the fuck are you actually talking about? Who is this H.P. Lovecraft character? He is an author. I don't know whether he was a very successful one, because he seemed... His works didn't... He's one of those ones that his works didn't... They were, like, successful within, like, the horror was, community, but they weren't successful properly until after he died. So like Stephen King and people like that were influenced by H.P. Lovecraft, but I don't think at the time when H.P. Lovecraft was alive that he was like a bestseller or anything. No, I think Maybe by the time like, he died, he'd lost his entire family fortune. I think he was I mean, basically... Oh, he used to be rich and then yeah. he, he went and he was plum, plunged into poverty when his grandfather lost his business or something. Whipple, his name was. Whipple! Whipple. <laughs> HP, what does HP stand for? Uh, Henrietta Petrina. <laughs> I realised as we started this that we were like, yeah, let's talk about his life. Never actually wondered what his initial stands for. I feel like all your old authors are just kind of in my head, their names are just letters. Uh, maybe it's just if you've... Yeah, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, C.S. Lewis. Well, it's, well, maybe it was trendy back then to do that. J.R. Smith. Who? C.R. Smith. C.R. Smith, is that not Windows? <laughs> Windows. <laughs> Windies. It, it stands for Howard Phillips. Yeah. It's not that exciting. Not really, Maybe no. Was he born, Mark? He was he born. He was born oh, in don't... 1890. Correct, but what month and what day? Oh, he was August born in August time. 1890. Oh. Well, yeah, oh. August. Yeah, he was, but okay. what is, I thought you said August 18. Sorry. Close. August 20th, and it's according to Wikipedia, it that says in the Leo, which is <laughs> an important thing to know. Leos. I don't know any Leos in my family, anyway. 
Most of my family are Leos. That's not true, but quite a lot of my family are Leos. <laughs> my dad is born in the oh, late August, so August 28th, so that makes him a virgin. No, not virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck did you come from? I was immaculately conceived. Do you not know that, Mark? <laughs> I assumed you do have a, a lot of Christ-like properties. Thank you. Well, hopefully, well, I didn't die at the age of what, 34. Is that when Jesus got nailed to a cross? Jesus yes. nailed. So he died on the 15th of March, 1937. I don't... A sad day for literature, but a good day for people who were black, Jewish, Asian, Romany, gay. So he died before Hitler's... Uh, invasion of Poland. So we, like uh, when I met, Which, you're like, why are you mentioning Hitler? He would have been sad to miss because yeah, he <laughs> fucking loved Hitler. I was like, why did you mention Hitler there? Because he was a big fan of the yep. Hitler. Um, he him. he was born in Rhode Island, Providence, in the U.S. of A. And he died in Rhode Island, Providence. <laughs> and he was 46 years old, which is that's quite nice. Because he didn't want to leave, road, or he didn't want... Is that right? Wait, it says his pen name was Grandpa Theobald? <laughs> what? Well, that's scary. <laughs> that's hilarious. He was married in 1924 to someone called Sonia Green. I'm sure, right, I will get to that, but I'm sure she described his like sex life, or their sex life is unusual. Yeah, but she said it was unusual because he hated having... Well, no, sorry. She said it was unusual and basically <laughs> he hated having sex with her. Oh. But also, it was quite clear Why that he didn't then? want to spend time in the company of any women other than her, including before he was married. And he was a virgin when they got married. Yes. Much like as just now. <laughs> <laughs> so really he didn't like having sex with his wife or any women, which is one of mm. my pieces of evidence that I believe that he was just a closeted homosexual that was like, right. I'm just going to go all out and be like the biggest Nazi in the world so that people don't think I'm gay. He was also obsessed with Harry Houdini. What? Like Wait, not I... as in fanboying, like they knew each other. He used to write Harry Houdini oh, like letters. He wrote thinking... hundreds of letters over the course of a year. Right, that rings a bell now because I remember reading that Harry Houdini asked him to write like a, a fan story or something. Like a, like you know how the fan fiction? Because he yeah. said to him, write me a story and make me the hero of this fucking story. And it was some stupid I don't know. I can't remember the plot that involved Harry Houdini being like a magician or, well, he was a magician, but actually magic or some shit like that. And he wrote, let's find out. Harry I mean, that sounds shite in comparison to his other stories, but it's probably because he would just do whatever Harry Houdini asked him because he clearly fancied him. This is the worst. best part of the podcast when we both giggle other things. I know. What book did Harry Houdini hire Lovecraft to write? He hired H.P. Lovecraft and his friend C.M. Eddie Jr. to write an entire book about debunking religious miracles, which was called The Cancer of Superstition. That's not the one I was thinking of. My um, answer to the question, is Harry Houdini attractive, is no, no Harry Houdini. (laughs) He was meant to have like rock hard abs. He does held... some pictures of him in just his underwear, and he does have an amazing mm. body. But like, I mean, there's limits when it comes to faces, isn't there? Yeah. And that is under not... the pyramids. That's the one I was thinking of. 
where is it? It's some stupid story called Forgotten Partnership of H.P. Lovecraft and Harry Houdini. Weird Tales. So it's a bit like Tales from the Crypt back then, where they had a compendium where all these different people would write weird tales. <laughs> Agatha Christie, Mark Twain, Tennessee Williams and all this shit. Like Pulp Fiction, it was called back then. And under the pyramid, why is that there? Like so whoever set up this website have put a picture in front of the text so you can't actually read what they've said. Well, that's useful. Cover story of May, June, July issue was imprisoned with the pyramids, none other than Harry Houdini, starring Harry Houdini, imprisoned with the pharaohs or something. Uh, the magician tells of his voyage to Egypt where he is captured by, and I can't see what, and is imprisoned beneath the pyramid to be sacrificed to horrid monsters of untold age. With his help or something, Houdini frees himself and reaches the surface, insisting, despite his injuries, that it was nothing to him. Because he's so sexy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's basically like a fan fiction story about Harry Houdini, how he's awesome. Maybe it was for publicity, because Harry Houdini was a, like a, skept- a famous skeptic, so why would he make out that he's like supernatural powers? <laughs> Imprisoned under the pyramids. Right. Like but then Lovecraft didn't believe in otherworldly forces. Actually, it was all like a rep- like his different stories were like metaphors for mixed marriage and allowing <laughs> native peoples to continue to live in their land and other <laughs> terrible racist <laughs> things. Well, tell us what you know about HP, old HP. Um, that's kind of, like again, I I do really like his writings, not for the racist metaphors. Like if you read them as like a good example that I think most listeners would be aware of is like so the upside down and stranger things is that HP Lovecraft shit yeah that's like Lovecraftian so that's all really based on Lovecraftian ideas so if you think about that kind of element running through his stories and you think of what's going on in stranger things like that's an interesting horror I just remembered Mark he was a staunch atheist or something like that because he he had this sort of nihilistic philosophy whereby anything outside in the universe was just horrific, very doom and gloom sort of thing. Yeah, he basically thought that like anything out with your own community was to yeah, be perceived bad. as a danger, which is which why is, like he's racist. <laughs> the writings that are what's it? Hold on, what what are his creatures? I'm just back. I'm just fascinated with this imprisoned with the pharaohs thing, right? I found more information about it. It was called Under the Pyramids in draft form and published as Entombed with the Pharaohs. Short story written by American fantasy author H.P. Lovecraft in collaboration with his love, Harry Houdini, in February 1924. Uh, commissioned by Weird Tales founder and owner J.C. Henneberger. The narrative tells a fictionalised account in the first-person perspective of an allegedly true experience of escape artist Harry Houdini. <laughs> Set in 1910 in Egypt, Houdini finds himself kidnapped by a tour guide, right, who resembles an ancient pharaoh and thrown down a deep hole. Yeah. H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft loved to go down his deep hole yeah, near yes, the Great Sphinx it. of Giza. <laughs> While attempting to find his way out, he stumbles upon a gigantic ceremony in cavern and encounters a real-life deity that inspired the building of the Sphinx. Right. 
Lovecraft accepted the job because of the money he was offered in advance by Henneberg, although it was credited solely to Houdini until so he ghostwritten it for him. Houdini enjoyed the tale and the two men collaborated on several smaller projects prior to the latter's death in 1926. And it's been suggested as an early influence on author Robert Bloch. Cosmicism, that's what his philosophy was, Lovecraft. Cosmicism or something like that. Yeah. Which is so yeah, and that's the idea that everything in reality can like is awful and is terrible and will cause you pain and Yeah, nothing's good out there. There's no positive things out and you know how people you know how cunts like um Noel Edmonds think that if you think if you ask the universe for, for whatever you yes. want, it'll give you what you want, like deal or no deal. <laughs> Yeah, whereas Lovecraft's whereas like, you have to communicate with things out with yourself, it will result in terrible pain. Things. Yeah, that's right. But again, it was like all a... So the thing... So it's Azathoth, which I think I've actually talked about in the podcast before when I was talking about my favourite interdimensional beings. So Azathoth's the idea that, like, there's this huge amorphous creature that exists in almost like a parallel reality and there's rips into our reality and it can leak through and it's got these tentacles and bloody bloody blah stranger things so i think that's a really cool idea but actually it's supposed to be a metaphor this isn't just like in my opinion or in people commenting on his writings opinion like it is definitely according to his own writings on it supposed to be a metaphor for indigenous peoples and how even if the land was already occupied like you have to clear it out and get rid of all the evil which when you're talking about a giant amorphous tentacle creature makes sense but when you're just talking about People who are native to a land seems worse. Well, and then his well, other... Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. sorry. No, I was so going to say, like... Other one. <laughs> <laughs> ah. I was going to say, like, cosmicism. What is this? Um, so the central theme of Lovecraft's cor- corpus is cosmicism. It's a literary philosophy that argues that humanity is an insignificant force in the universe. Despite appearing pessimistic, Lovecraft thought of himself as being a cosmic indifferentist, which is expressed in his fiction. Human beings are often subject to powerful beings and other cosmic forces, but these forces are not so much malevolent as they are indifferent towards humanity. He believed in a meaningless, mechanical and uncaring universe that human beings could never fully understand. There is no allowance for beliefs that could not be supported scientifically. But then that's interesting as well, because he was I like insistent that you could only believe in something, you could only fully believe in something if it could be supported by scientific fact. But he mm. also was a believer in eugenic science, which mm. in his lifetime, like by the 1930s, <laughs> all possible claims of eugenic science being true had been completely disproved, but he still believed in it. So it's then like, again, it's like you said, he's like an edgelord. Like he's going around saying that anyone mm. who doesn't agree with him is an idiot and that you have to believe in science. But then the branch of science that he believes in is just like racist, made up shit. He he, the Call of Cthulhu represents an intensification of cosmicism. He introduces the idea of alien influences on humanity, which come to dominate all subsequent works. Lovecraft expresses cosmicism through the usage of confirmation rather than revelation is writings that came out of the cthulhu mythos so Uh there's like the early cthulhu book which is like this sort of 
it's not really a god of the sea it's like an interdimensional being but it mm. comes to our world through a rift in the sea so it's almost kind of like semi-aquatic but then there's the like Innsmouth writings which are about the town that like basically continue to worship Cthulhu in its absence and there's like a mixing of the oh. DNA there so there's like the people of Innsmouth are like half sea monster yeah. half human but like that was all a metaphor for basically that he thought that there was too many black people being given <laughs> rights in America and that that meant that there was mixed race babies being born and that he thought that that represented like a massive danger for humanity and by humanity he just meant white people he, he, going he said forward. That happiness is only achieve- achievable through blissful ignorance. So why is he saying that the more knowledge you know, the the more miserable you'll be? So best just to accept it. Uh, no, I don't. I don't get that. Trying to know things that are not meant to be known leads to harm and psychological danger. Eh? <laughs> but then he's basically saying like, don't educate yourself, even yeah. though you're well educated, and was insistent that everybody should only follow things that could be scientifically proven. But is also saying that you shouldn't. Like, yeah, it just doesn't really make any sense. No, no, you were ta- telling me about the, the fictional towns that you made up, one of which was, that this stood out when I was researching them, one of which was Arkham, which I'm like, Arkham, where have I heard that before? I'm like, that's fucking Batman, isn't it? Yeah. Arkham Asylum, Bob Kane was influenced by H.P. Lovecraft, and I guess Batman is a sort of Lovecraftian kind of creature, if you think Because he's so far-reaching, though, like a lot of people don't know that is... I was reading an article about how a black female author, and she was the first black female author to win an award oh. for horror writing, and the award is, it's not called like... Oh, it was his head, or, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like a bust of him that you win, and she didn't know until after she won it that he was, again, massive. like a massive white supremacist Nazi. Yeah. Because, it, and, uh, and her works were in part inspired by him, because again, like, That's I didn't realise... I, I, really enjoyed his works and works based on them when I was younger when I was I mean I still like them I've now but like when I was in the early 20s and I didn't I wouldn't have known what they were a metaphor for again were it not for the fact that like he actually there's like documented evidence of him writing in letters to friends and stuff like this is what this book's about because I don't feel like they I think he think he thought in his writing that the metaphor was obvious like the way he writes it is as though like you don't need this cleared up whereas again if you're reading a story about a tentacle monster from another dimension that rips holes into our reality and destroys life and homes and yeah you're not going to go oh well that clearly means that native people should be forced off their lands (laughs) (laughs) i don't see the clarity of the metaphor there well let's look into his racism then so the wee thing that i found here he wrote a really horrible racist poem when he was a child or a teenager or something in 1912. What did he say about Hitler? He said he he proudly considered himself a member of the Aryan race. He loved Jewish refugees, approved of Adolf Hitler. In reference to the Nazi leader, he once wrote, I know he's a clown, but by God, I like the boy. (laughs) (laughs) I probably want to show him too. And he was unsympathetic to the plight. Wait, you call him a clown? That's an odd thing to call Hitler. I've never heard of Hitler being referred to as a clown before. I mean, he didn't do anything that comedic. So I can see why. I know. Not like, often. Like dressing up in leader 
and killing all those Jews. I mean, that's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, he was unsympathetic, killer clown. He was unsympathetic to the plight of black people being lynched in the southeastern US. A, at one point going so far as to express compassion for the white murderers rather than their victims. Yeah, uh, I, I did read like, several of the letters that he sent to Harry Houdini and other young male authors that he was communicating Harry with. Harry Houdini was Jewish? He talked about how he was pro-lynching, or like not pro-lynching mobs, but yeah, effectively like that he felt bad for the way that Why? people in lynching mobs are being treated. Oh yeah. Also, when he when he lived in New York, he he moved back to Rhode Island because he couldn't stand all the diversity. He was fucking raging. He couldn't he he, he couldn't understand how they could all live together like that. Merely walking through diverse crowds of New York City caused him to quiver with fury. Um, he'd also he'd written a letter to <laughs> one of the again young male authors that he liked to write to about how it was like, I can't even remember, I didn't write it down because it was horrific, but it was something about the, he said like that New York was full of too many, this is me quoting, yeah. something about half apes and yeah. that it was ruining that their society and it could mm-hmm. stretch out and ruin all of society. And Yeah, he thought that anyone who wasn't from a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant background is subhuman. And he was very, oh, that's another thing that came to mind when I was reading about him. He, he he was very um pro Eng like pro England Britain like if he could have his way he would have America still under colonial rule like he was very like an Anglophile which is again although I suppose I there's that the whole like wasp thing in America isn't there where like you're yeah like, oh I was descended from the people who came from the Mayflower which makes me superior to anyone else in this country because we're the original whites. Although apparently, like one of his psychoses as well was that he was obsessed <laughs> with the fact that there could be somebody who was non-white in his family lineage. Not that there was any evidence of that, just like there could be and he wouldn't know about it and was terrified of that. It was like one of the things that gave him existential dread, which what? again is insane. That he wasn't um, from a English aristocratic family. Not that he wasn't, that there was an, like, basically he had, like, existential dread and, like, panic attacks about the idea that, like, his great, 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 great granny could, for all he knew, be, like, part Indian or, like, have a black aunt or something. And he wouldn't know about that. And therefore, his blood was impure. Again, the Innsmouth thing, apparently that, there's some of the Innsmouth stories that he wrote are about, like, people that, like go to Innsmouth and try to investigate it and it's like he invented that kind of horror what's it called the like uh you are the monster horror trope so like you know when you get those horror stories where it's like you're trying to solve mm-hmm. you're trying to find out what the monster is and then it turns out that like you're turning into the monster and you don't know it you're unaware that you are the monster and the Innsmouth versions of them were basically like it was effectively a metaphor for like the main character being unaware that they were mixed race like they didn't know that they had Innsmouth blood in them and they find out at the end of the story and that is the horror is basically oh my god right your great great granny was black ah <laughs> <laughs> let's see what else he's put here his racism is intrinsic to his work oh yeah, I don't know I've not read a, a oh, from a box article that says Lovecraft injected many of his most famous and beloved stories with overt racist metaphors his stories uh-huh. Uh, our frequent blunt literal racism, which is um Well, this guy's provided a paragraph from one of his books uh, that proves this, right? So this is a an excerpt. I don't know what book it's from. I'll read it out. 
this is a Lovecraft writing. The match had been between Kid O'Brien, a loverly and now quaking youth with a most unhibernian hooked nose, an unhibernian hooked nose, and <laughs> Buck Robinson, the Harlem smoke. I can see where this is going. The Negro had been knocked out, and a moment's examination showed us that's how he spelt it that he would permanently remain so. <laughs> he was a loathsome gorilla like thing with abnormally long arms which I could not helping help calling four legs and a face that conjured up thoughts of unspeakable Congo secrets and tom-tom poundings under an eerie moon. The body <laughs> must have looked even worse in life, but the world holds many ugly things. Fuck I'm uh, uncomfortably laugh at it, which I could not help calling four <laughs> legs because I just imagined the guy lying dead on the deck and Lovecraft like leaning over going, four legs! People are like, wow. <laughs> Back then, people were like, "Hang on, Lovecraft, you're a bit too racist here." I think yeah, that was one of the other things that I'd read is that we were kind of talking about that before we started recording. That it's like quite a lot of people, which again I understand because I enjoyed reading his writings. So quite a lot of people that enjoyed his writings kind of tried to justify the idea that although he was racist to begin with, he became less and less so as he got older. But Mm. actually, most people most literary historians that have looked into his life yeah effectively said that they were like no even for the time he was writing when there was massive issues with nazism and white supremacy so you know kind of like now um Mm. but even for that time he was like extraordinarily racist like he made other races feel uncomfortable with his racism you mentioned the shadow over innsmouth yeah his distinct fear of racial degeneration has shown through his characters and that ah so the end the, the haters of Innsmouth for their breeding with the South Sea Islanders and they call it the Innsmouth look and he writes his oddities certainly did not look Asiatic Polynesian Levantoid, Levantine or Negroid yet I could see why the people found him alien I myself would have thought of biological degeneration rather than alienage from shadow over Innsmouth have you Which read again, this basically implying like if you're because again he, he <laughs> believed in eugenics even though he said he believed in only proven science and eugenics was disproven so he believed in eugenics so he thought that all of the races were entirely separate like we'd all evolved separately so it was almost kind of like if you if you are someone of mixed race heritage it's like a mule like you're not fully one creature or the other you're right. like some sort of degenerate in between beast rather than just <laughs> you're just a person whose parents have slightly different skin tones right here's the there's a poem that he wrote in 1912 now fair warning it is pretty it's pretty racist i'll read it out when long ago the gods created earth in jove's fair image man was shaped at birth the beasts for lesser parts were next designed yet they too remote from humankind to fill the gap and join the rest to man, the Olympian host conceived a clever plan. A beast they wrought in semi-human figure. Guess what the next oh, <laughs> God, yeah. Filled it with vice and called the thing a nigger. Jesus Christ. See if one of your pupils uh, wrote that and handed it in. Uh, how would you react? <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I think I'd have to. <laughs> pass it on to like the police <laughs> oh, 
But again, imagining the kind of person that would write that is what I imagine Lovecraft would be like, that if you passed it on to the police, he'd be like, oh, you. <laughs> what, so, you know, like gelatinous cubes in Dungeons and Dragons? Um, no, no, I don't play it. They're, they're also like, again, it's like a weird interdimensional creature trope. So it's it's just like the blob, you know, the movie, the blob in the 50s. Yes. And Steve McQueen. And I believe there was what, a remake in the 80s. Is that a Lovecraftian horror? Yeah, that's a Lovecraftian. I think it's right. maybe supposed to be uh, the the one that's the kind of <laughs> stranger things he won. The, hold on, what's it called? An Azathoth. So it's like right. a creature leeching through from another dimension that's like amorphous. And, Have the, you seen the so, new series of Stranger Things that's out? I've started watching it. I've watched the first two. Well, have you seen the guy? Oh, no, I don't want to spoil it for you then. There's Please a don't. Cre- I love it. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the creature that's in the new, uh, the new bad. He's sort of like Freddy Yes, the, so I've watched the end of the second episode. So right. You see him at the end of the second episode. So what episode. the fuck is that? Because before it was like these kind of, uh, I can't remember what they were called. There was a mind flare and then demigoths or whatever they're called. They had like sort of opening, they had heads that opened out like a sort of flower. What I'd say the new has? thing, because it seems kind of human, is maybe like yeah. a Cthulhu level creature. So it's like almost a, it's capable but, of intelligent thought. It's almost. Right. Okay. Which again is. What it, are the tentacles? So it's, it's hooked up through tentacles, but Cthulhu, Cthulhu has tentacles, doesn't he? But what? then the hooking up through tentacles that leach into other dimensions is hmm. an Azathoth, but then being like an almost human like being is like a Cthulhu. What's an Azimuth? To people who don't know that, like they've never seen, like they've never read H.P. Lovecraft, they don't so, know the lore. Or maybe it is an Azathoth. So an Azathoth is like a <laughs> argument that exists in a parallel dimension, but they can, can. What the partially... fuck is an Azathoth? <laughs> well, that's what an Azathoth is. Any creature that exists in a parallel dimension right. that's able to leech into our di- dimension okay. through it. I get it. Thank you. Right, so that's what that thing is. I guess so. Also, yeah, mm-hmm. gelatinous cubes. Right, gelatinous cubes, yeah. So gelatinous cubes are one of his, he doesn't call them that, that's what they're called in Dungeons and Dragons, he calls them Vakibian cubes, but they're like just, they're basically like, they look like little jelly cubes, that's what they're described as, and the idea is that they're like, they, again, they come in from other dimensions, and they can kind of soak into your body and kind of poison your thoughts, but it's very much like the, again, like the whole lib, libtard, liberal media thing now. I mm. think that was his metaphor for that. Like oh. almost the liberal agenda. And and again, the liberal agenda at that point in time was like, don't kill people for being black. And he's like, yeah, the liberal, liberal agenda is this like little horrible cube that gets into you and poisons you and poisons your mind and you can't listen to it. And again, he's a, just a fuckhead. <laughs> he's a shit person or was a shit person. He's dead now. Dead. Shall we play the fun game? The fun game that I discovered. Yeah, let's play the fun game. What's it called? Uh, it is called. Oh, hold on! Right, you were you were sorry before we do that. I just saw something here in this article about gelatinous things. It was a letter he wrote to his friend Belknap, where he describes the inhabitants of the Lower East Side of Manhattan in the exact same way that he's described the eldritch abominations that has haunted his readers' dreams with. So he says, the organic things inhabiting that awful cesspool 
could not by any stretch of the imagination be called human. They were monstrous and nebulous, um, adumbrations of the, he's re, like, what the fuck, of the pific and fropoid and amoebal, vaguely moulded from some stinking vis, viscous slime of the Earth's corruption and slivering and oozing in and on the filthy streets or in and out of the windows and doorways of in a fashion suggestive of nothing but infesting worms or deep sea unimmobilities. They or the degenerate gelatinous fermentation of which they were composed seemed to ooze, seep and trickle through the gaping rocks and the horrible houses and I thought of some avenue of cyclopean and unwholesome vats crammed to the vomiting point with gangrenous vileness and about to burst um, and inundate the world in one leprous cataclysm of semi-fluid rottenness. From hat nightmare of perverse infection, I could not carry away the memory of any living face. The individually grotesque was lost in the collectivity and the collectivity devastating which left on the eye only the broad phantasmal lineaments of the morbid soul disintegration and decay a yellow leading mask with sour sticky acid eye oozing the eyes ears nose and mouth and abnormally bubbling from monstrous and unbelievable sores at every point i mean if i got that later i'd be like all right hp calm the fuck down (laughs) what the fuck are you talking about that is a very long-winded way to say i don't like the family that stay next door yeah They look different from me. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Right, what's the game? (laughs) Uh, This game is the Bees Go Game, Hitler or Lovecraft. So I'm going to read you a series of quotes and you have to decide if the quote comes from Hitler or Lovecraft. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so quote one. The result of all racial crossing is, in brief, always the following. A, lowering of the level of the higher race, and B, physical and intellectual regression. To bring about such development is then nothing else but a sin. So do you think that 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 piece of shit came from (laughs) Hitler or Lovecraft? I'm going to say Hitler. You are correct. Yeah, this is going to make me look like a fucking Hitler fan. Right, no, carry on. Right, let's see. I'll be worried if I get all of this right. He did talk about sin in that one, though, in Lovecraft and right. believe in sin. So I feel like yeah, that was, that was a good was a starting quote. one. Okay, okay, quote two. Of the complete biological inferiority of the N-word, there can be no question that he has anatomical features consistently varying from those of other stocks, and always in the direction of lower primitives. Equally inferior, and perhaps even more inferior, are the Australian black stocks. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I just that... had to see my gap because I felt sick reading it. That's, that that's, Lovecraft? Love, that's Lovecraft. You're correct. That was Lovecraft. The only reason I say that is because of the previous quote that I read out earlier about how he described a negro a, like a black person as a gorilla so i thought well you mentioned gorilla there so that must be lovecraft okay next one <laughs> yep i was not in agreement with the sharp anti-semitic tone but from time to time i read arguments which give me some food for thought lovecraft i'd feel that hitler would be a bit more no i, I, I would also say love, that was hitler what i thought yep. hitler would be a bit more hard line about anti-semitism <laughs> Maybe he was reading some of Lovecraft's letters and was right. like, 
This is a bit anti, a bit too anti-Semitic for me. Oh my god! Do you think Hitler knew about H.P. Lovecraft works? Okay, we have two Lovecraft. more to go. Right. Okay. Carry on. So next one: equality is a joke, but a great, <laughs> but a great abbey or cathedral covered in moss is a poignant reality. But a strange quote: equality is a joke, but a great abbey or cathedral covered in moss is a poignant reality. I'm gonna say Lovecraft because I don't understand why Hitler would say that. It was Lovecraft. Yay! I feel like anything he says that isn't in his published stories is, again, as you said earlier, just like Edge Lord Pish. Yeah. Okay, final one. Uh Therefore, it is wise to discourage all mixtures of sharply differentiated races, though the colour line does not need to be drawn as strictly as in the case of black people. We know that a dash or two of (laughs) Mongolians, Indians, or Hindus, H-I-N-D-O-O-S, or some such blood, will not actually injure white stock. White stock? Hitler. Is it Lovecraft? It was Lovecraft. Fuck. Fuck. But you got three out of five, which is technically a pass. Well done. Congratulations. I can't can't really see Hitler saying anything about Hindus and all that, so I suppose, yeah, it does make more sense. Also weird that Lovecraft was really panicked that his like, great, great, great way back ancestor might be one of those races, but is also saying that other people don't need to panic about it because if there's a little bit, just a little bit of one of those races in your your blood, it doesn't necessarily ruin your white stock. Oh, I don't know. So weird. But we talk I'm about like to... his non-racist bits of his life a bit. Too. Yeah. Trying to think that I remember reading about how well oh he was depressed because he he lost all his money or his his family lost all his money or something. And he was like, so after his dad was committed, he didn't stay with his mum at first. His grandpa so... lost all his money. Yeah. Yeah. So his dad was committed when he was three. And then his mum sent him to live with her family who were really, really wealthy. But then they ended up losing all the money. So he ended up moving back. He moved in with his aunt. So he moved in with his aunt. And then his dad died in the institution. And then he ended up going back to live with his mum. His mum said that she was seeing weird and fantastic creatures that rushed out from behind buildings from corners at dark. Thank you for taking that over because I couldn't remember what she'd said. So just stopped talking. Yeah. She was unaware of where she was, so then she was committed to Butler Hospital like her husband before her, and his immediate reaction to Susie's commitment was visceral, writing to his mate that existence seems of little value, and he wished it might tear so he wanted to, he basically was like, I, I want to die, uh, everything's miserable, I want to kill myself. Which, not that it excuses his racism, <laughs> but I can understand why he had such a bleak outlook in life, considering that like... Hmm everyone round about him kept going mad or dropping dead. Also, you really like cats. <laughs> he was a cat man. Like, he said of cats that they were superior to dogs because they were so beautiful and regal looking that one can't but help but worship them. That's what he said about cats. I mean, cats are pretty great. Yeah, well, today um, David came to me this morning and he was like, 
I just witnessed something horrible and I was like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, I just seen a pigeon die. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I expected to come out of your mouth there. Okay. He's like, see the cat? I was like, it's not one of our cats, is it? And he's like, no, no, no. It was the, the black one that once ran in our house that lives out the front. And he said he's seen it literally like grab a pigeon and run off with it. And David chased it. It let go of the pigeon, but then the pigeon just sort of writhed around in a pool of blood and died. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so cats are evil. <laughs> no, the, in defense of cats, I did say it is in its nature. And he's like, yeah, but I'd rather that the pigeon died in peace rather than being tortured by the cat. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's I like, agree. Just, like, well, thanks for letting me know that. I really needed to know that today. <laughs> but there was somewhere where I read about... Um, Lovecraft where he went around, he didn't like daylight, he just wandered around at night or something, I don't know where I found that. But then he didn't go out during the day but when he was young so when he still he lived, his, his mum wouldn't let him go outside during the day ah, so right. why, she used to say even in front of him that it was because sorry, <laughs> I don't know what I'm laughing <laughs> because he was a grotesque oh <laughs> So she was basically like, I can't let him out during the day because his face will terrify the fuck out of everyone. Yeah, he does have a bit of a... And I mean, he wasn't, like, bra-looking, but he, he wasn't a grotesque. <laughs> and then, yeah, the thing I read said that the habit of not going outside during the day then followed him into adulthood, which makes sense because, again, he was used to that since he was born. He rarely woke between... He rarely woke before midday and he stayed yeah. indoors during the daylight uh, and tried to have very little to do with people. But I assume because his mum had given him a complex that people would vomit if they looked at him. Yeah. Which, you know, um, nice his mother and aunts wore black mourning dresses that terrified him. He was also he was approximately five and a half years old. He started having nightmares that would later inform his fictional writings. Specifically, he began to have recurring nightmares of beings he referred to as night gaunts credited their appearance to the influence of Dory's illustrations, which would whirl me through space at a sickening speed, rate of speed, the while fretting and impelling me with their detestable tridents. <laughs> and then 40 years later, Night Gaunts would specifically appear in Lovecraft's fiction. Hmm. Okay. I don't know what a Night Gaunt looks like. I'm going to Google one. He was, a lot, he was influenced a lot by his grandfather, who was called Whipple, which I find hilarious. And he encouraged him to have an appreciation of literature. I don't know whether he taught him all the racism, though. But oh, night gaunts are. Have you googled it? No, I'm just gonna wait for you to tell me. So again, having only watched the first two episodes, you know, in the new series of Stranger Things. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, at the end of the first episode, when it pans out from the guy that we were trying to work out what he is, yeah. and there's those big bat things flying around the are house. Are they night gaunts? They are night gaunts. Wow. Yeah, so they're like faceless, kind of bat, kind of traditional oh. demon-looking like creatures with big stretched flesh wings. They are pretty creepy. Yeah, I was wondering what the fuck those things were. Right, what else? About, what would be his love life then? Because we said he was a virgin up until he's like 30s or something, or late yeah, 20s. Yeah, he was a virgin until he was in his late 20s when he married his wife, Sonia, but they didn't really seem to like each other or spend any time together, have anything in common. And she was they, Jewish as well. Which is weird considering he's a massive anti-Semite, probably not the best choice of wife for him. 
He wasn't one for displays of affection and evidently the only woman he ever kissed in his adult life was Sonia Green, who went on to become his wife. What the fuck? Why is she marry him? God only knows. Yeah, like, I get why he would marry her, other than, again, the fact that he hates Jewish people. But I get why he would marry her, given that... Yeah, but she was quite an independent... Yeah. She's quite an independent career woman. She she wrote, she travelled, she designed hats, <laughs> and she started her own business. And she was also she a Jewish immigrant. after they were married. Like, he obviously didn't... I think at first, is that how he ended up in New York? He went to New York with her for her business, but then returned. Yeah, and then yeah, that's right. And then just refused to go anywhere with her. Yeah. And she ended up leaving him because she's like, all you want to do is bang on about your fucking racism like white supremacy and then he, well, he was ill as well so he went back to his Rhode Island but I think he was just a low I think he was a bit like Charlie Kelly and Always Sunny he never wanted to leave Rhode Island like he didn't want to leave Philadelphia yeah he claimed her well she claimed that her marriage to him was a renouncement of her Jewish heritage an argument, oh no, no, she disagreed with that. So someone said that he married her because it was a renouncement of her Jewish heritage. It what? I don't know. I don't understand why she married him. I really don't get yeah, it. Yeah, again, it's just very she just odd. On her part too. Like, you, I get why she'd be all fucked off that she's like, people can't just decide I'm not Jewish just because I've married this guy, but also the guy she married is an anti-Semite. So... And she did all the work while he sat at home accepting checks from her. Like, she looked after him. It's like almost like she was like a, a mother figure or something, maybe. Yeah, she wasn't getting anything out of it. Like, he didn't no, help her. He didn't he did bring fuck off. The home. It's obviously like they didn't have a good sex life because he didn't want to have sex. So He was too proud to get a job, but he was whining about how he couldn't afford food. So he was just relying on her money. When she left him, she burned all their letters. But it's probably because he was a big anti-Semite, maybe. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Jesus. There must be more on the marriage between them somewhere. Let's see if I can find anything. Have you found anything more about her? She Not seems really. fascinating. Like she does seem like she was a very interesting person, but. Uh, marriage. His Again, aunt... like, they didn't really, in the grand scheme of things, seem to have that much involvement in each other's lives at all. Where did he meet her? He met her at... Oh, he was, he was a member of the Amateur Journalist Society or something. And he met his future wife there at a convention in around about 1921, Sonia Green. His aunt disapproved of his relationship with Sonia. Maybe he went, well, fuck you, I'm going to... I mean, there's a nice picture of them together. She seemed actually he does look a bit awkward like she's got his arm her arm around his neck and she's laughing and he looks like he's about to laugh or he looks incredibly uncomfortable with the fact that she's got his her arm around her maybe he's like oh somebody that's Jewish is touching me even though it's my wife yeah that's weird maybe why do you think that he decided to marry her do you think it was because he wanted to just lose his virginity or like I, I really don't get it weird. Mm, sorry I'm still looking at night bonus. right well I'll I'll go on he married her on March 3rd 1924 and relocated to her Brooklyn apartment at 259 Parkside Avenue she fought 
he needed to leave Providence to flourish. So she was like, you need to fucking leave and experience the world. And he's like, no, 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 there's people of different colours there. I can't. <laughs> and she was like, I'll just more his with people that are different yeah. colours. <laughs> uh, she had been married before. Um, she later said Lovecraft had performed satisfactorily as a lover, though she had to take the initiative in all aspects of the relationship. So, <laughs> so she's like, one less bang. And he's like, no, she's like, right, well, come on, like, I'll suck you off her. I don't know. She had to do everything. She attributed to she attributed Lovecraft's passive nature to a stullifying upbringing by his mother. Lovecraft's weight increased to two hundred pounds on his home wife's cooking. I think she was just a replacement mother to him, honestly. Yeah. He was enthralled by New York, and in what was informally dubbed the Callum Club, he acquired a group of encouraging intellectual and literary friends who urged him to submit stories to weird tales. I think she was quite a good influence for him, as in like getting him to mingle with other people. Other than yeah, to engage his, with his reality in some yeah, way. Yeah, I think she was trying to get him to engage with reality, like you were saying, but ultimately didn't really work. In January 1st, 1925, she moved from Parkside to Cleveland in response to a job opportunity, and Lovecraft left for a small first-floor apartment in Clinton Street at the edge of Red Hook, a location which came to discomfort him greatly. Because of all the diversity and shit. Later that year, the Calum Club's four regular attendees were joined by Lovecraft, along with his protege Frank Belknap Long, a bookseller, and Samuel Loveman. <laughs> Loveman was Jewish, but he and Lovecraft became close friends in spite of the latter's anti-Semitic attitudes. So his wife had sort of a good influence over him that way. By the 1930s, writer and publisher Herman Charles Koenig would be one of the last to become involved with the Calum Club. Right, okay, well, let's get back to the marriage. Not long after the marriage, Green lost her business and her assets disappeared in a bank failure. Lovecraft made efforts to support his wife through regular jobs, but his lack of previous work experience meant he lacked proven marketable skills. Mm. Publisher of Weird, Tale, Weird Tales was attempting to make the loss-making magazine profitable and offered the job of editor to Lovecraft, who declined. What? <laughs> what prick? Citing his l- reluctance to relocate to Chicago on aesthetic grounds. What, because there was too many re- like people other than white there? On aesthetic grounds. I imagine uh, that's what they actually said. Yeah. Baird was succeeded by Farnsworth Wright, whose writing Lovecraft had criticised. <laughs> Lovecraft's submissions were often rejected by Wright. This may have been partially due to censorship guidelines imposed in the aftermath of Weird Tales stories that hinted at necrophilia, although after Lovecraft's death, Wright accepted many stories he had originally rejected. So that's like his nemesis. He just rejects all these stories. He's like, <laughs> you're a prick. <laughs> and I'm taking over your job that you rejected. So Sonia became ill, and immediately after recovering, she relocated to Cincinnati and then to Cleveland. Her employment required constant travel added to his feelings of failure in a city with a large immigrant population Lovecraft's single room apartment was burgled leaving him with only the clothes he was wearing in August 1925 he wrote the horror Red Hook and he in the latter of which the narrator says my coming to New York had been a mistake for whereas I had looked for poignant wonder and inspiration, I had found instead only a sense of horror and oppression which threatened to master, paralyse and annihilate me. 
This was an expression of his despair at living in New York. It was around this time he wrote the outline for Call of Cthulhu with his theme of insignificance of all humanity. During this time, he also wrote supernatural horror and literature on the eponymous subject. He sent a weekly allowance. Oh no, Green sent him money. And then he moved to a working class area of Brooklyn Heights where he resided in a tiny apartment. Which again, especially for then, is really weird. Like they didn't yeah. live together or spend any time together, but she was yeah. sending money to live off of. What the hell? I know. And then because she wasn't cooking him meals and stuff, she, she basically left him alone. He lost so much weight that he eventually left to go back to Providence, his old house in Rhode Island. And he went back to live with his wife. Um, his- <laughs> I don't know if he ever divorced her, though. I'm not sure. Uh, right, how did he die? He had a fear of doctors, so he well, wasn't... Because one of them had non-white ancestry. Yeah. <laughs> what What did he die of, then? His health was deteriorating. He was suffering from an affliction that he referred to as grip. Um, he wasn't examined until a month before his death. After seeing a doctor, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer of the small intestine right he remained hospitalized until he died he lived in constant pain until his death in 1947 and in accordance with his lifelong scientific curiosity but he was scared of doctors which doesn't make sense he kept the diary of his illness until he was physically incapable of holding a pen but he didn't have a, a like a gravestone it was it wasn't until 1977 that his fans erected a headstone in Swan Point Cemetery, in which they inscribed his name, the dates of his birth and death, and the phrase, I am Providence, a line from one of his personal letters. What the fuck does I am Providence mean? That he's superior or something? I don't know. Okay. I want to know more about his wife. I want you to know what I am Providence means. Well, you can look into that then. I'm going to. I also looked at, well, I'm looking this up, um, mm-hmm. like his sort of education to see if that Okay, yeah. He inspired his writings and B made him a crazy racist. Um, hold on. What was the, it like in school? Like, so imagine if he was one of your pupils. What? How would you deal with him? How would you feel if you had a Lovecraft in your class? Oh, I mean, sadly, again, oh, he's, as he's you white. said, due to the spread of edge lordness, everyone has a, a Lovecraft on occasion. He's you just white. kind of ignore them and tell them to shut the fuck up all the time. 1972, age 89, so good for her. Yeah, so if you said, like, as divine providence, then you're saying that God is the only important force in the world. So if you're saying I am providence, you're saying I am the only important force in the world. Right, there you go. So he thinks he's the fucking centre of the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, on the education note, basically I wouldn't have taught him how to live back then because he pretty much educated himself. So... He apparently had really bad health when he was a child, but as you say, he wouldn't go to doctors and his mum made up that he was deformed. So whether he actually had bad health or not, or whether she was just a nutbag, is difficult to establish. (laughs) So he didn't really attend primary school and was home educated, but then ended up attending some of upper high school. But because he's obviously only just started school, then he didn't gain any qualifications also when they headed towards not really exams but the point in time back then when you would get whatever qualifications you were getting he suffered a nervous breakdown so he never actually received any proper qualifications or a full formal education but the people who did teach him said that he was exceptionally good at 
astronomy, chemistry, and that he was obsessed with literature. Uh, he loved to read the works of Gothic authors, especially Edgar Allan Poe. So again, that all kind of makes sense with the astronomy and Edgar Allan Poe all combined with your... Do you think, wait, what would the equivalent of an H.B. Lovecraft be in these times in the classroom? Like a sort of edgelord nerd? But he kept to himself, so I don't think he'd be very popular. No, but edgelord nerds also aren't very popular, so... Who's into Hitler because it's edgy and cool to him? I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, again, it's Just like history different. comes in cycles, doesn't it? I feel like everything mm. we've been talking about here where we're like, <laughs> even me reading like the quote from about 10 years ago in an article, like, unfortunately, white supremacy and not white supremacy and Nazism were uh, prevalent at this time, like, so like now. And then, yeah, I feel like you get a lot of wee guys like this that are like, oh, you think they're society rejects me because I'm so intelligent and so yeah. above everyone else, whereas it's like and, no people just don't want to talk to you because you're a wank. And women just like mega chads and people treat them like shit or whatever. But I don't think he was really un- interested in women, like you say. He probably No, I think he was only interested in Harry Houdini. Yeah. <laughs> Again, he was Jewish, so I don't understand that. I guess Harry Houdini had he must have had a rocking body but not a great face not i don't know i've never face. met the guy maybe not right but again his mum had convinced lovecraft that he was, he was born, so he can't really judge anybody else's face can he that's true i don't think i think he's one of these guys that didn't really become famous until after he died like with his books and everything he had no money when he died he had no recognition it says here that the classic starving artists definitely applied to Lovecraft he spent most of his life literally starving frail and malnourished he's a grown man he could fucking look after like why can't he just look after himself yeah, just make like he's incapable stupid fuck for someone who's supposedly white supremacist he wasn't very good at looking after himself or getting an actual job it's like these fuckers that sit at home refuse to get work but then complaining about immigrants taking all their jobs when they don't have a job themselves and refuse to get one. That's how I would sum him up. Yes. And again, it's like, I'm too important, I'm too committed to my art to get a job. And if people don't understand yeah. that, it's because they're shit. They're probably being, again, they're probably being influenced by the liberal media. Yeah, and he also thought that um, getting a job was beneath him because he was a white supremacist from a, a, the, a family that goes back to like England, the aristocracy. So it was like, oh, no, I'm not getting a job because that's too good for me. Like, no. At least his hero, Edgar Allan Poe, got a job and earned enough to pay for basic expenses, but he just refused to even look for work. (laughs) Such a prick. Yeah, like absolute shit person. He he wasn't even recognised in his own time to saying he lived in rundown conditions by the final decade of his life his diet often consisted of eating expired canned goods and not much else so he's like sitting there eating like cold cans of beans and he's fucking shack even then according like uh, he sometimes skipped food altogether for the sake of affording postage more letters he's a total harry houdini stand and then he chewed for the remains of his inheritance and there was nothing left. And then he got cancer. So he had a poor diet. All his health problems began when he was a boy and escalated as a teenager shortly before graduate. Like you say, he suffered 
a nervous collapse. They speculated that later scholars speculate the breakdown may have been described as the onset of a rare neurological disorder like sidemchoria, uncontrollable involuntary move- movements, is also being called the vitus dance. Regardless of what exactly happened, for the condition was like, right. So he was twitching and things like that. Like he had a sort of Tourette's. He doesn't expect anyone else to care about his work or his novels ever. He said, "All right." So they've said here in this uh, this article about um, Lovecraft. Imagine if you found out that your reclusive next door neighbour occasionally sold short stories for pennies to a horror magazine, and you'll get a sense of how unknown Lovecraft really was at the age of forty-six, shortly before the cancer claimed him. According to The Atlantic, Lovecraft wrote the sad admission that I have no illusions concerning the precarious status of my tales and do not expect to become a serious competitor of my favourite weird authors. That he didn't, obviously didn't know that later on, I guess it's the same case of like Vincent van Gogh, who went mental and he only ever sold one painting. And I think that was his like brother or art dealer. And then after his death, he became like mega famous yeah. and everything. You know what I mean? That's sort of like H.P. Lovecraft ended up. Yeah, because I don't even think it's like the inspiration that his stories have had on other people. I think even his stories in themselves have become, especially like the Call of Cthulhu stuff, has become mm. insanely popular, but yeah, only after he was dead. But again, feel less bad for him than I do for other tortured artists because he was a shit person. Yeah, so they, these people are just separating the art from the artist, but then the artist's views are are weaved in his work so i don't know how you can separate the art from the art artists in a way what what draws you what draw what draws you to hp lovecraft because i've seen you with his books and various literature on hp lovecraft when we're traveling about and i'm interested to know what appeals to you about him I think it is the, again, if you take the metaphor out of it, the idea that if there are godlike beings, it makes no sense to think that a all-powerful interdimensional entity would actually care about us. And then right. I think the characters in his stories are well-written and seem really real as well. So I think it's like good character-driven narrative. But then when they encounter these things, it's not like, oh, my God, we've encountered an angel. It's like, oh, my God. Julie's face is melted because she's touched <laughs> the tentacle of an interdimensional god. It just, yeah. Well, yeah. I, mean, I like the, I like the, the horror, like the proper horror of it. That, like as they say, that the way that it's written, that it's so, it's properly dreadful. It gives you feelings right. of dread. It makes your skin crawl. It's got body horror in it. But then the characters are well written, and I think I like the combination of that. So, it sounds like you, you agree with what this article is saying because it said that. Back before Lovecraft, horror stories were usually supernatural, gothic and mythical, you know, like your Dracula and your Frankensteins and that. But he changed that, turning horror into something you could put under a 20th century microscope and still run away screaming from, which is why his work's been so influential influential on creators ranging from Stephen King to Guillermo del Toro, which I I see what you mean. I agree with that as well. Yeah, I think I don't. I like. I mean, obviously, I love Dracula and Frankenstein and things like that. But I like that there doesn't need to be an explanation. Like in other horror, you need to know where the creatures come from or mm. who's died or what's caused it. Whereas, I, because he's got that idea that just something can tear between dimensions and then whatever's going on is because of the contact with the other dimension. So you can have 
any kind of horrific thing happen in the story mm-hmm. and it doesn't really require any logic to be behind it because nobody knows what other dimensions are like. Again, like in Stranger Things when they go into the upside down, doesn't really make any sense, but it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense because there could be a reality where horrific structures grow that look like the buildings in our reality. Like there's no way for us to know whether that <laughs> happens or not. And on the man himself, so he created all this stuff, but again, like the the Lovecraft reward, it was he, it was an, a reward for the World Fantasy Awards, like fantasy writing. Have you seen the actual trophy? It's really funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then they they were like, yeah, we're uncomfortable with this because of his white supremacy. And one guy said that was in the 2000s, the world has become more closely examined Lovecraft's white supremacy. Uh, oh, n- n- is this the black lady you were talking about? Nedi Okorafor? Yes. Um, a statuette of this racist man's head is in my home. A statuette of this racist man's head is one of my greatest honours ever as a writer. <laughs> But that must be so weird. And again, the yeah, fact yeah. that she didn't know that he was a massive racist until after she'd won the award. But then you'd think she would have done her research about him and knew that already? No? Then not necessarily, because I think, hmm. again, when I started reading some of his stuff and I found it really, really fascinating, it wasn't until... The only reason that I found out that he was a massive crazy Nazi is because I was developing a unit for teaching at my yeah. own school and I was looking at authors that have a cult following and I was just trying to include like a little bit of information on worksheets about their personal life and obviously I never really looked at his personal life before I just read his books and when I started mm-hmm. looking at his personal life I was like oh he was an absolutely massive Nazi <laughs> like didn't know that I yeah I, I think when I when I first became familiar with H.P. Lovecraft was which I learned many things from is through reading the novels of Anne Rice because she referenced a lot of different authors like that. And one of them was H.P. Lovecraft was an influence as well. And I looked him up. But again, I didn't know that he was a massive racist until you mentioned it when we covered Lovecrafting monsters Yeah. in our podcast. <laughs> so... Yeah, I suppose it, if you didn't, cause maybe, do you know what it is? Maybe because he was so unknown in his contemporary time, when he was alive during his lifetime, that no one really knew what he was like as a person until they really looked into him later on when, when you could do more research. I think it's probably a combination of that. And then when you do hear little bits and bobs about people and you don't fully look into it, there's just kind of that assumption that like all white people were shit in the past. So you're like, well, obviously he was slightly racist because he's a white person from the past. But but yeah, I don't oh. think you would know that he was awful to the extent that he was awful. It's weird because, I mean, I haven't read any of his novels. I'm well aware of Lovecraftian stuff. I mean, Stranger Things, that's really interesting how that's... Is Freddy Krueger a Lovecraftian horror? I would argue, yeah. Yeah, no. I suppose so. Because he is that kind of, he is almost a godlike being. He th- is able to go between like the dimension of dreams and the dimension of waking. So yeah, do I you know say- what I have in common with H.P. Lovecraft? And no, it's not the racism, the anti-Semitism. 
It's that your mum used to say before you were a grotesque when you were a baby. <laughs> Don't look at her. She's a grotesque. No. I look like a grotesque now after after I poisoned my head. But he he and and again, this is this is how I'm living my life right now. He rarely went out in public during daylight. He would only leave the house after sunset, staying up late to study science and to read and write. He'd routinely sleep late into the day. That's me. And he developed the pale and cont bearing he is now known for. I, I, I mean, I'd say that I used to like, see, when I was younger, I was very, well, generally, I don't like to tan. I like to be pale as possible. Now, some people might see that as like, well, I'm white, so I can't help that I was born white. But it's not that I want to look as white as possible. It's just that I'm terrified of the sun because <laughs> I was really badly sunburnt when I was in Benidorm, which is a fucking awful place. I, I, Benidorm to me is like the New York of um, HP Lovecraft <laughs> and its minds, but not because it's full of um, diverse people. It's because of the lack of diversity in Benidorm. It's full of yeah, fucking white gamins. Like... <laughs> Red, pink gamins from England. <laughs> I just fucking hate it. You should write your own interdimensional horror about an amorphous gigantic gammon destroying a whole rally. <laughs> yeah, I But this is how I live my life right now, is that I had two weeks off work and all I did, right, was stay up all night, all throughout the night, trucking and trucking on my Xbox, playing a truck. Okay, I was like, <laughs> I take trucking super seriously now. And then I would sleep all day. But because I hate the summertime, like I was saying to you before we started recording, I absolutely hate the summertime because it's so light in the morning. Like it starts to get really light at like five five AM, the sun comes up and it doesn't get dark until like eleven. And it really does my fucking nut in. Cause I, prefer- I can't sleep if there's any light at all. So I do Yeah. Uh, yeah I've I get got you. blackout blinds. I've got like I have to wear a blindfold, like, you know, like, I'm not a blindfold, like, you know, a night mask, a night mask, an eye <laughs> mask, so I can sleep. And I find it really difficult to, I just, I don't want to go out during the daylight. I know that sounds fucking weird, but I, I just, that's how, that's what I've got in common with HP Lovecraft. The only thing I don't have in common with him is I'm not that gone anymore, so I'm quite fat now because I don't go <laughs> Not the only thing that he. <laughs> You don't have in common with him. I'm not a massive reader. <laughs> Do you think I should read some of his books then? Yes. But recognise that a lot of the passages are quite racist. I think Just you should read. I book. think you would like the Innsmouth stuff. Right. I okay. think you should read um, Red, Red Goat, Black Goat, which isn't his. It's by <laughs> Red Goat, Black Goat. Yeah, the, the, the clearly not racistly named Red Goat, Black Goat. <laughs> You've but I think you really before. like it. It's really good. Okay, I will do. Well, I think that that's what really all we can say about H.P. Lovecraft is that he was a poor little rich boy, basically, who went mental because he's. Do you think maybe because his parents were mentally ill, he was slightly influenced by that or repelled by that, and that's why he focused so much on horrors and science, and he was an atheist. Yeah, it makes no sense as well that he was like, there is no God, or if there is a God, it's like a dark, uncaring being, because all the other little rich kids would have been like, mummy bought me a pony, and he's like, mummy <laughs> tells people that I'm a, 
not to gaze directly upon me and daddy shot in his hat this morning <laughs> <laughs> probably wasn't having the best of times the only person who seemed to be a good influence on him was his grandpappy but then he died and lost all his money so he had to live with his crazy aunts and i think and that's probably also now that we know what a night gone is just occurred mm. to me that like the way his aunts dressed made him have night terrors about night gaunts and that's where the idea came from but <laughs> but again they're those bat creatures from <laughs> stranger things what the fuck were they waiting his aunts were hideous old bats then that mm. probably treat them like shit it seems to me that he was probably a result of his family his upbringing and I think he developed pretentious ideas of his own, maybe escaped into a fantasy world. And because his life was so kind of miserable, that his only explanation was that the, the, the universe is uncaring and indifferent. And that's where he wrote that into his novels. And plus he was obsessed with Harry Houdini, which is strange. So yeah, he's a strange guy. Yeah. And I just don't know how he would fit in, in the modern world. He wouldn't really. I don't even think that the white supremacists of today would accept them. Nah, there's a lot of them that's parents should shout their grotesques, don't look at them. <laughs> that's pretty harsh to say, but then she was, she did get put in a mental asylum, so there's that. Yeah, but she, yeah, she also had her own issues going on. He, he definitely wasn't the best looking of people. I wouldn't say he was hideous. He was no, like he didn't feel. belong in a freak show. He just wasn't particularly <laughs> handsome. No. Yeah, I mean, he was a weirdo. But do you think maybe if he lived during this time, he would maybe see that his racist ways were wrong? Mm. Because he would be, or would he just be like insular? You know, like he wouldn't leave his room. Would the internet have maybe opened his world up a bit? So he didn't have to travel or anything, or do you think he was just willfully ignorant and didn't want to? Like he said, the more ignorant you are, the more happier you are. Like, but yeah, he was. Yeah, I think he just wanted means. to be a big giant racist. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm. I, there's no. There's no way I'm defending the guy. Is <laughs> I'm trying to, but there's no defending this guy. All right. Well, what are we going to be talking about in our next episode? Let's choose a number from the list. That sounds like right. a Nazi thing to say. Uh, choose a number between 1 and 20. I will go for number 13. Number 13. Okay, so we might need to communicate with Yaz to find out what this one is. Because remember we did Disney stuff before. Mm. And then Yaz said she'd really like us to do true Disney stories at some point in time. Now I wrote that down. I don't know what she means. <laughs> I don't know what she means either. Okay, well, we'll ask Yaz what, what true Disney stories mean. I mean, we could talk about Walt Disney himself. That might be a good, a good one to do. Yeah, we could just do general Disney stuff. Sorry, the cat Disney is lore. all over the computer. He's trying very hard to end this call. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I like lifted him off and he climbed back on it again as if like, no, I am rolling. I'm off to make some spaghetti bolognese. Ah, uh, um, the spaghetti. And then I'll probably just be doing some more trucking. So that's my life yeah. right now. It's such a good game, though. You just go around. It's quite relaxing. I mean, I listen to quite a lot of... Um, I know I'm going to promote a podcast that I, I really like listening to, and I think you should listen to it as well, Mark, because it's very entertaining. And I think he reminds me a 
bit of you, this guy, the way he talks. Um, and it's called Dead Eyes. Have you heard of okay. it? No, it's about an actor. Right, there's three seasons. And it's about an actor who is obsessed with why he was sacked by Tom Cruise back in 2000 for having, from the, the series back. Is it called Dead Eyes because Tom Cruise is dead by Not Tom Cruise, sorry. No, I didn't he walked that back. It wasn't Tom Cruise. It was Tom Hanks, who's like the nicest man in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, he, was Tom fired, he was fired by Tom Hanks from the Band of Brothers series for having what he described as dead eyes. <laughs> it's really really funny so i'd recommend you have a listen to that (laughs) i mean that sounds wonderful it wasn't even like a big role he was going for it was a it was a role of private solinsky where he was just like some like butler type soldier to damien lewis's character we had like a few lines and he actually got the role his agent said, right, you've got the role, they're hiring you. And then they phoned him back later and said, look, there's a problem. Tom Hanks has had a look at the footage and says that... He, <laughs> Your eyes are dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wants you to come back in and re-audition. So he's like, oh, shit. Um, so I went back to re-audition, but I was like, what did I do? Did I try and make my eyes pop? Or <laughs> make them look less dead? How do you do that? But it didn't work. He, he he didn't get the he didn't get the <laughs> and it, it haunted him ever since. Uh, I'm so, definitely going to listen to this. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, and it ends in a brilliant way. So yeah, what listen to Dead Eyes because I listened to that when I was trucking. Um, because you just go around driving trucks about delivering things, and you might tip over the occasional truck because it's it's like muddy terrain. So it takes a while. So I thought I'll put on Dead Eyes and listen to that while playing this game through the night. And it was it's excellent. Oh, I miss it. It was so funny. Yeah. So listen to Dead Eyes. And yeah, that's it. Well, apologies for the late podcast. I really do. But oh my God, what the fuck? I just turned around to put my head, like turned around to look out the window and thought what I saw was a deer sitting <laughs> on someone's garden. Are you upstairs? I'm upstairs, yeah in my office room but it, it turns out it's a fox it's a fox i honestly thought for a second there was an actual fully grown ass deer lying down in someone's front yard <laughs> oh this woman's putting meat out for it that's why she's just put meat out for the fox she's feeding it oh that's cute i think i'll just that go watch cute. Oh, that's cute. Oh, I don't know what it's, it's got, like chicken or something like that. She's feeding that fox. My dad feeds the fox outside his garden. It's like a young one. Yeah. Right, well, I'll leave you and goodbye. And we'll, I don't know what the fuck we're talking about next week. Some, I mean, Disney was Neither of us do, so that's episode. exciting. <laughs> it's a mystery episode about Disney true stories. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.